we'll do the laws and the customs for Erev Sukkot, which um, also covers the special uh, mitzvot of uh, Sukkah, which is basically building a Sukkah and eating in the Sukkah during and spending time and doing all your things in the Sukkah during the holidays of Sukkot. And also the laws of the Lulav and Esrog, the four species that we use, the Lulav and the Etrog and the Hadassim and the Aravot, the, all these four kinds. And the other various halachas and customs as they pertain to Erev Sukkot. Um, now, we know that when the holiday comes, there are extra expenses. And it's also a time when people are in a festive mood. And it's very important to remember during those days the people who are less fortunate, who may not be able to afford to make a nice holiday and able to buy all their needs to make their Yom Tov happy as well. And um, and the Rebbe instituted that um, just like we find that before Pesach, it's been a very well-established tradition for Jews to uh, give ma'os chitim, that is money for the people who can't afford to buy wheat for matzahs, basically to give them their needs for the Seder. Um, the Rebbe uh, instituted that the same thing should take place uh, for the uh, Yom Tov Sukkot to see to it that uh, people have their needs. Uh, make sure that uh, everybody would be able to have a happy and a joyous Yom Tov because they will have what they need. So we make a collection and we make a distribution to make sure that everybody gets their needs. That's been encouraged by the Rebbe. Uh, there's also the idea, like in Chutzlar, it's there's people that have a tradition that every day they give some tzedakah, besides giving to the poor, but they want to make sure that they don't miss out a day, that they don't actually give charity. But there is certain days that you can't handle money, like on Shabbos and Yontav, you can handle money. So it turns out, like in this year, for example, in the Chutzalar, it's the schedule is that you have Thursday and Friday is Yontav, and then you have Shabbos, so you have basically three days in which you cannot give charity physically handle money to put into the pushka or similar and uh, therefore one needs to remember to give before Yontav which would be on Wednesday uh, the Erev Yontav to give additional uh, tzedakah for both for Thursday, Friday and then for Shabbos to do it all on Erev Yontav in Israel they have a break because they only have one day Yontav so uh, when Thursday is Yontif and uh, Friday is a weekday and then there's Shabbos so they can technically give on Wednesday for Wednesday and Thursday then on Friday they can give for Friday and Shabbos but in Chutzlar since it's consecutive and we can't handle money in all these three days we have to increase in the charity that we give before Yontif it's also uh, a uh, the Rebbe encouraged that people should give out the four species, the Dalad Minim, the Lulav Esrog, and the Myrtle, and the Willows that are necessary to perform the mitzvahs to uh, prepare 
to give them to people so people have them and they have actually uh, their own uh, lulav and etrog. The uh, Torah says that the lulav and the etrog that you use should be yours. So it's best for each one to have their own lulav and etrog. Although one could fulfill the mitzvah if somebody loans it or gives it to him as a gift and then he returns it for a gift to be returned so it's sort of uh, only temporary the other's person but at the time that he's doing the mitzvah it's a gift that he owns so that would be okay but it's still appropriate and important to see to it that people have their own sets, their own uh, four species sets, so they really actually have their own and they could make their bracha during Yantav on their own Dulav and Esrog. Uh, it's also important that people have their own sukkah, if when possible, that they uh, use a sukkah that they can go in and in themselves. Uh, it's a mitzvah to actually participate in, in, in the building of the sukkah and the, being part of the sukkah. So it's important for people to have their own sukkah. It's also probably more likely for a person to fully use the sukkah if he has their own. And just like we say, a sukkah needs to be like your home, people that have a home, live in a home a whole year, should also have a sukkah. Um, the... Rebbe related uh, that the previous Rebbe did not personally participate in the building of the sukkah, not his father, not the previous Rebbe. They'd have somebody else constructing. But although it is related that the Rebbe himself would throw a couple of branches on the schach as to be part of the actual mitzvah himself, now, there is really no problem if a person wants to build a sukkah within his house and remove sort of the roof from his house, and then instead of the roof to have it covered with branches, that would be fine. It wouldn't, not necessary to build it on the outside necessarily, having a self-standing sort of separate hut. That, it's not necessary. In the house is fine as long as you remove the roof and you put in kosher schach and you're sitting like in a sukkah in your own home, that would be possible. Uh, that would be okay. I mean, you got to make sure that your the area, the walls reach the schach. There's some laws that are important to know, but generally speaking, there's no objection in having a sukkah in your own home as long as it's covered properly with a schach. Um, also, the requirement halachically for a sukkah to be kosher is that it needs two walls plus a little bit of the other wall. Um, you don't need four walls for a sukkah. But it, Chabad tradition is that we should actually have complete four walls to sit in a sukkah with four walls. And the walls can be made out of any material. We don't require only those materials that you make the schach, which has to be a growing, something that grows from the ground, it has to be detached from the ground, not makabal tumah, various requirements which we have for the schach, but the walls of the sukkah, we don't have any of these requirements. Uh, but we should have four walls made out of whatever, and uh, and that that is the uh, best way, or the Chabad way, to do make four walls. Now, there's another um, tradition in Chabad 
that we uh, cover the sukkah with lots and lots of schach. They, there is a um, passed along from the Alter Rebbe that the Alter Rebbe would say, put more, more. Now, the problem is that it says in the Shulchan Aruch, if you cover yourself, you cover your schach uh, uh, with so much schach that uh, it's almost like a house, it's like a roof, and it's not a sukkah. It says that you have to be able to see the stars from while sitting there, so you can see the stars. You have to be able to look. So what they would do in order to meet that uh, qualification, that criteria of seeing the stars, they take a pole or stick, push it through, and create a hole from which you can see the stars. And that would uh, meet the requirement of the halacha, notwithstanding the fact that there was a thick layer of schach, that they were still able to see uh, the stars. And um, now sometimes you see uh, people, um, they use a cover for their uh, for the schach, um, when they're not in use, um, sometimes it rains, sometimes the breeze falls into the sukkah. So when you're in the sukkah, you can't have it covered because uh, if it is uh, one tefach above the sukkah, that's considered like an oil, that's a, a cover which would not permit you to be sitting in the sukkah. You would be sitting not under the schach, but you would sit under the cover. So they unroll it when they go into the sukkah and they roll it out when uh, they leave the sukkah and that way if it rains it doesn't rain inside the sukkah so when they go back they'll uncover it and the sukkah will be fine uh, it's either unroll it or spread it out now if it is a tefach we have a problem over there uh, with unrolling it uh, on the sukkah because you are creating sort of a cover and on Shabbos and Yontav, you're not allowed to create even a temporary oil, even like a temporary cover. You can't do that uh, unless it's already unrolled, already one tefach, it's a hand fistful uh, before, a little bit spread out. And then when you continue to spread it out and cover, uh, then you're being moisif on an oil. Then you're just adding to already uh that is permitted. So those covers need to be partially covering one section for you to allow to go ahead to continue covering up the sukkah. And the area that's on the roll itself does not qualify as that tefach because that doesn't look like uh, spread out. So if you're going to use those uh, uh, covers, you have to make sure that it's spread out before Shabbos and Yontav, it spread out a tefach, one tefach, so that then you'll only be adding when you continue covering. So I guess when you um, also roll it up, you should roll it up in a way that you don't fully roll it up, that it stays a little covered, so that then you can go ahead and cover it again without making a uh, without making an oil, without making a tent. Um, if there would be no tefach, if there is no space in between, then that would not be considered an oil. You wouldn't have a problem. Uh, if you have it directly on the schach, that wouldn't be a problem uh, with putting a cover over the schach. That would be okay. Now, we don't necessarily...
built a floor on the bottom of the sukkah. The ground is fine. However, that sometimes you may run into a problem when you construct the sukkah on grass. Uh, there could be a possibility. Um, so the problem is when you're making it on grass, um, you might be pouring onto the um, onto the floor, onto the onto the grass, uh, and then you'll be watering. Uh, you'll be watering the, the the ground, the grass. You'll be watering it. That's prohibited to do on Yontav and on Shabbos. Um, it's not so clear because. When you don't intend to do something on Shabbos, it's called Einim Iskaven, when you're not intending, then you, um, then you don't, and it accidentally it happens, then it's okay, it's, it's, it's permissible, that's the ruling. However, in a case where it's a psikresha, where it's going to have to happen, uh, then it's more stringent, then it's not allowed, because it's inevitable to happen. The Alter Rebbe in Shulchan Aruch and writes that it's very likely that it's going to spill. If you're going to uh, have water on the grass by the table, if you're going to eat there, you're probably going to spill. It's not 100% clear in the Alter Rebbe is either whether he's talking about whether you're doing a Tilas Yadayim over there or just from the, from the uh, meal. But for all practical purposes, if a person is going to have his meal on the grass... And he's going to spend there. We have kids and guests and ourselves. It's inevitable that he's going to spill. Uh, it looks like that, according to the Alter Rebbe, he he would should not really be eating over there. Best not to do that. So, if a person has the grass, he should create a floor or something, a protection, so that whatever falls, liquid falls, should not fall on the grass or should not fall on the ground, and therefore watering the grass, things like that, which is prohibited on Shabbos and Yontif. Now, there is also the uh, Chabad tradition not to use sukkah decorations. We don't put the decorations not underneath the sechach and not on the walls uh, of the sukkah. However, the actual walls of the sukkah and the sechach should be made as beautiful as possible. Uh, the beauty is in the simplicity of things, meaning we don't need additives uh, to the noy sukkah. I mean, the Noye Sukkah is, is an ancient tradition way from the Talmud uh, back to the Mishnah and the Brises and the, uh, the uh, tradition of Chabad uh, the Rebbe explains elsewhere but it is uh, in Chabad's tradition not to put uh, Sukkah decorations inside the Sukkah. Um, now, some people as we talk about the lulav and etrog now, from the sukkah we'll go over to discuss a little bit lulav and the etrog. Uh, some people have a tradition uh, to pay for the uh, etrog. I mean, we talk about paying for the etrog, the same thing as paying for the four species, because but the etrog usually is the more expensive one of the set. Uh, many times you pay for the etrog and the other things come along with it. Uh, etrog, you look especially, it should be beautiful and everything else could be, uh, sometimes uh, people pay tons of money. Uh, uh, it goes also back in ancient times that people used to spend a lot of money for uh, buying a beautiful etrog. And um, some people uh, want to make sure uh, that the etrog is paid for. 
before and other species that they're paid for before the holidays because um, the Torah says that you should take yours. If you want the lulav and the etrog to be yours, you should own it. And somehow others argue that uh, if you're not going to pay for it, uh, it's not really yours. But the halachically it is completely yours because once you've made the mashicha, once you've drawn it and sold it is yours and in the Chabad tradition we are not particular to see to that you have it paid up before Yom Tov. It is yours and um, if you pay after Yom Tov, you're still fulfilling the mitzvah of L'Kachtam Lachem. it's still considered your your esrog. Now there's another uh, Chabad tradition which is uh, by comes from the Alter Rebbe that the blessings that we do on the lulav and etrog, on the etrog and the lulav, should be on an etrog which comes and grows in Calabria, in, in, in Italy. Um, and uh, even if um, we have today uh, plantings that they have taken from the Calabria uh, etrogs and have them replanted in uh, Israel, uh, so it's technically the same etrog. So as far as being kosher 100%, we know it's being kosher because they come from the Calabria etrog. So we know for sure that it's a kosher etrog. But there is something about in the Chabad tradition to... There's something about the Chabad tradition to make sure to... Uh, actually use an Esher that grew actually in Calabria. It's brought down in the Medrash um, that um, when the Jews were in the desert, where did they get an etrog from to do the mitzvah that they were commanded? It says that they send agents on the clouds to go to, uh, the, they journeyed uh, to Calabria, to, uh, to Italy. They, so there is something in tradition specifically to be careful to make the blessing on an etrog that was actually grown, not only comes, but actually grew in Calabria. What is the proper color of an etrog? Uh, it should be yellow. Uh, should be yellow. Some people want it to be uh, a little bit green, but the real color is yellow. Now, it's not so clear which would be the preferable etrog. Would it be a completely yellow etrog, but it has some, you know, spots on it or leaves on it, what they call bletlach, or one should forego and have a little greenish, but make it clean and beautiful. It looks like that people, uh, the prevailing custom is for people to forego a little bit on the uh, yellowness, even though it's a little green, but to make sure that it's clean. That would be the more preferable etrog to give. But of course, it can't be totally green. It has to be yellow, but a little bit greenish is, 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 is okay. There's another tradition in Chabad not to use a lulav that has kneplach. Uh, that's uh, on the top. It's sort of bent over on the top. And Shulchan Aruch actually says, according to some, it's an advantage. It shows like your heart is bent over. But in the... Uh, mitzvah of sukkah, we have two main mitzvahs, one is sitting in the sukkah and the other one is the shaking of the lulav it has basically four species 
You have the lulav that comes from a palm tree. And then you have the etrog, which is like a citrus. It's like a lemon. It comes from a citrus tree. But it's not a lemon. It can be a lemon. isn't kosher. But it's a special... No. Absolutely not. And it has to be a, a special etrog tree. Um, and we have to also know that the etrog tree is a kosher one. And that's a proper... Uh, it has to be established. It's not so easy. And, you know, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's something that you've got to be very careful. And then you have uh, myrtle. Um, these are called hadassim, they're called. And uh, the myrtles basically, each one has its own rules, have to have like three leaves coming yeah, out of right. one stem, as mentioned earlier today. Uh, then you have the willows. Um, uh, as we're going to see, the, these are the four species. Now, we're discussing right now the lulav. The lulav, um, uh, we say that should not have what's called as kneplach. Uh, kneplach meaning buttons uh, or folds. Sometimes at the end of the lulav, as it grows, it has a folded up. Now, you know, one of the one of the idea, one of the things about the lulav is that it also has to be whole on the top. Main thing is that middle leaf should be whole, not a split. And best is not to be even split, even even if a little bit should be totally closed. Some people say that if the end of it, when it grows, it folds in, it's sort of very tightly uh, closed, and they actually think it might even be better uh, to use a lulav like that. But the Chabad tradition is not to have kufufim, not to have this kneplach at the top of the lulav. And um, the spine of the lulav. This is called the spine. This is the spine of the lulav. So the spine of the lulav, uh, it says that the previous Rebbe would make sure that it should be uh, that it should be exactly in the middle. Because, you know, sometimes the leaves, it it goes and grows in various different ways. And sometimes one side is bunched up with leaves and the other side has few leaves. So the spine is not in the middle. So the previous Rebbe wanted the spine to be exactly in the middle, so there should be like equal size of leaves on one side and equal on the other side. And uh, also the lula should be straight. Straight meaning uh, in either way. Straight meaning not to the right or the left, not bent. Okay? And also not bent forwards or backwards, you know, just straight, meaning straight in all directions. Like a piece of wood. Like a, piece, like yeah. a straight piece, yeah. like a straight. Be careful with that. Um, and also, not to have a too thin lulav. I'm not sure exactly if this would qualify for too thin. This is kind of thin, a little bit thicker lulav. lulav. And there's some other qualifications. Uh, it says that the leaves should be connected uh, with the peel behind the spine. I'm not sure exactly what he means by that, but there, I'm not sure exactly what so he means. It, but comes from, it comes from the palm tree. From palm tree, right. But yes. any particular part of the palm tree is this uh, No, it grows. There. These are, these are growing the things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah. Are there leaves out there now? These are called the, um, these are the, 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 the leaves of the branches, you know, these are the sides of them. Okay. Now, uh, together with this, we will have, as we'll see later on how we tie them together, we have the uh, myrtle. 
uh, now he says that um, myrtle is many times used as something people use it actually for besamim uh, Saturday night uh, they make the blessing of birdim in besamim when you smell a good smell that comes from uh, from spices you make the birdim in besamim sometimes there is of pieces of wood you make. I'd say some of these various brachas, but you make a special blessing for a good smell. And um, the hadasim that you have on the lulav, they have been designated for a mitzvah to be used as myrtle, as hadasim for the mitzvah. They're not there for you to benefit personally, to have a good smell from them, to enjoy them. Uh, a mitzvah is, should not be used. It should be. It's designated for its purpose, uh, but should not be used for <clears throat> that purpose of, of smelling, of gaining enjoyment, of having a good smell. Uh, the same thing is true. Uh, one should refrain from smelling the the etrog. Now, an etrog it also smells well uh, because it's used for the mitzvah. It's used to be a mitzvah. You don't want to use it just as a, something to some people, join. They, in the course of the year, they cut it up and then they use it. Oh, of course. After Yomtev, after the holiday, that's that's fine. People, use people you make jam out of it. Some people make a good smell out of it. Some people, some people use it. Some people use it at, at, when they do the Havdalah, they use that to smell. That's right. Yeah, them, yeah. Right? yeah. Some people put cloves inside yeah, of the, yeah, yes. the Esrog. <laughs> Very different thing. <clears throat> Generally, we know we don't want to just discard. <clears throat> I mean, if you do it in a respectful way, right. you could discard it. But we try to do another mitzvah. Some okay. people will use the lulav to um, bake the matzahs in it. They would put it into the oven, and when they have the fire for the matzahs, they want to do another mitzvah with it. Some people uh, will, um, like we said, will use the uh, uh, esrog for besamim for later on. But in any event, not to be used during the holiday, okay, during the, the time for another mitzvah. And if one did smell, you know, sometimes somebody says, smell my esrog, right. but still a bracha should not be said, because the mitzvah is not given to enjoy, so you should not really make a bracha. That, for that particular time, you should not make a bracha. Can we work on Hoshana Rabbah? Uh-huh. Can we work on Hoshana Rabbah? Yes. So it's like Chalamayot. Same as work as Cholamite. Okay, now uh, we're going to discuss a little bit the order of tying of the lulav. Um, now, I want to caution you that the general community, the whole public, uses what they call a koishala. A koishala, it's made out of, um, woven together out of these uh, leaves that come from the lulav. And they weave it together and they make this koishalach, which has two pockets basically. In one they put the uh, hadasim, the myrtles, and the other one they put the willows, the aravis, they put in the other one. And then they stick it onto, there's an opening, it goes onto the lulav. And then they tie it all together on the lulav. But now we're going to study the Chabad custom, the tradition, the way we do it in Chabad. So, first of all, uh, it is the best, the, it's best to tie. Uh, the lulav on Erev Yom Tev in the sukkah. Really, on a very simple level, the lulav and the sukkah are two separate independent mitzvahs of the holiday of sukkahs. There's really, there's one mitzvah to use a lulav and an esrog. This was done in the 
which the Torah says, and it says that in, in the Beis Hamikdash, and uh, uh, they would rejoice. But then we have the mitzvah. At least the first day of Sukkot, it's a mitzvah everywhere uh, from the Torah to use the lulav and the esrog, and then the other days became from ra- from rabbinic uh, requirement that we do it all seven days. So we use the lulav throughout the festival of Sukkot, you know, till through a shiner rabba when we use the uh, lulav and the esrog. From the Torah, we only have to use it just one one day, uh, the first day. But in any in any event, um, the um, one mitzvah is doing the lulav, and there's another mitzvah of sitting in the sukkah, eating in the sukkah, taking doing everything in the sukkah. But yet, it's the best way to do the mitzvah is to combine these two mitzvahs. And as we'll see later on, actually, the bracha should be done in the sukkah too. But right now, we're talking about preparing even the lulav it best is to prepare it on Erev Yom Tev, which this year would be on Wednesday in the Sukkah and it's brought down that the Rebbe would custom was to do it in the afternoon so it would be done on the afternoon <coughs> on, today would be done like Wednesday afternoon right. in the Sukkah that's when the lulav would be uh, prepared uh, now People a lot of times have a hard time uh, tying their lulav. They don't know exactly how it goes, but it's best to do your own lulav. All, all mitzvahs, we always say, it's better to do a mitzvah on your own than to give it to somebody else to do for you. Mitzvah uh, It's a mitzvah to do it on your own more than sending an agent. So whenever possible. Also the same thing goes for tying of the lulav. If you at all can learn and you know how to do it, you should learn and do your own lulav. Okay? Now, the rule is as follows, that we don't use more than one etrog, and we don't use more than one lulav, and we don't use no more than two aravot. However, there is an old tradition by Hasidim to add to the three required, halachically required uh, uh, hadasim, the myrtles, to add to them. The more the better. That was sort of the tradition, to put a lot in and in later years, the Rebbe would uh, encourage uh, to use more than three hadasim and minimally to add three hadasim more to those required by the law. So you would end up having at least six hadasim on your uh, on your set. So that means that you would have six hadasim. And the bless you, the additional hadasim are also distributed evenly with the others, as we'll see how we place exactly the other species, the, the other ones, so together with the other hadasim, you would spread, so if you put instead of one, 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 as we put it before, we'll put two, 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 in, 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 in this way. And as I mentioned, it's not our custom to use those koishalach, those are holders for the hadasim and the aravis. Rather, we put the hadasim and the aravis directly onto the lulav, and we tie them with rings made out of the strips of the lulav. Now, it's very important. These species need to be all together, touching each other, and you can't have anything interrupting. And that's why these koishalach, whether the other people use or when we use rings, we only use rings tied from the lulav itself. Because min it means its own kind, since it's made of the same material, it's not considered an interruption. So if you're going to have 
a tie, and then you're going to put the esrog over there, let's say, or you're going to put the esrog on the tie, it's still going to consider it all together. Uh, it's not interrupting. If you're holding with your hand on the... Uh, on the tie, so even though there's a tie there, it's not interrupting between your hand and the lulav. You're not going to say, well, I'm not holding the lulav because I'm holding the tie, because the tie is made out of the same material. That's why it's very important that you can't use anything else to tie the lulav with, but from its own uh, pieces. And that's so why you use these pieces. You make a ring out of those. I can show you soon how to make a... Uh, but you have to be careful how you pull it off so you don't yeah. separate yeah, no, right. so these, the these could be, it doesn't like, if it's thin enough, if you just took off like one, for example, right, on this side, right. that's okay, it wouldn't do anything, or you okay. would take off one from the other side, that would be okay. Now, as you, you notice, the, when we say hole, because each one of these, uh, the pieces is made up of two. See, it's made up, it's open on one side, and the back is closed, you see? That's when we talk about lulav, you see? It's made out of two. We want this back part in which they connect. This needs to be completely closed. If it is completely closed all the way to the top, then it's whole. If it gets a little split over there, then it's then it's not whole, not whole. Yeah, in some cases it's totally not good. Some cases it's not the best, but but it's 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 it's, it's best to be closed or totally. But over here, uh, when you start uh, doing, we're going to see we're going to use five rings. So you, before you start to tie the lulav. Uh, one should have all the uh, rings necessary for tying, which is five, in front of him. There's easy ways of making these rings. You know, you pull together the rings so that you uh, later on use them to tie the. Uh, so if you have like this, you know, and then here you have a, a tie. Um, you should have all your rings. Um, um, in, in front of you. So basically, we're going to use five of these rings, as we'll see soon. Is, is there a minimum on the size that this has to be? Uh, yes, there is a minimum. There has to be. Uh, it has to be like three tefachim, one for to, to stick out. I mean, these are very but sure, but these are these are uh, big enough. These are lulav yeah, are big enough. Yeah, there is. Yes, yes, absolutely. There's a, a, absolutely Those who requirement of them. Yeah. Off the tree, don't determine the size. Yeah, well, yeah, they're all usually big. I mean. Unless you, you know, you know, you know I'm thinking that I see palm trees all the time, but you know, and where this comes from from the palm tree, I can't even think of it because you always uh, see those big leaves. So it yeah. must be some other pot that sprouts out next time I go to Florida. I'll take a look. And are they all from uh, Israel? Is there half? Is there no, a mitzvah? No, we're going to see them, and we're actually going to talk about it. It's a little bit. It's a little bit different. Um, now, just see. basically, now we're ready to um, to tie the lulav. Okay. Once we have everything ready to go, so now we're going to go through how the lulav and its species are bound together, how you tie them together. This is how you do it, okay? So you have the spine of the lulav facing you, okay? So you're facing it, or you can place it down on the table, and you have the spine facing you. So then you place one hadas, one myrtle on the right, and one on the left, and one in the middle. You have one right, one left, and one in the middle. And the middle one is a little bit shifted to the right. It's tilted to the right. So you have right, left, and middle tilted to the right. That's the hadasim. 
Then you have the Arav, Hadassim is the Myrtles. Then you have the two Arav. Now it's either you have one, 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 or you have two, 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 because as we said before, if you have six, or if you have nine, or whatever it is, you, you, you distribute them equally. Then you put uh, the Aravis are placed one to the right of the Lulav and one to the left of the Lulav. And basically, it doesn't say here, but the as uh, we'll see, um, the um, ha- they're, they're placed basically the two Aravis in between the Hadassim, in between the Myrtles. So you have a Myrtle, Willow, Myrtle, Willow, Myrtle. So you have the two Myrtles on the side in the middle, and the two Hadassim and the two Aravis, or more than the two Hadassim. Uh, now, the attempt is that the Aravis should not show as much. Generally speaking, the Aravis are considered the least of importance of this species. Because they go in order, the etrog has a taste and a good smell, and the uh, dates that we eat from the lulav represents the dates have taste, not a smell. The myrtle have a smell, but not a taste. And then the willow has neither a taste nor a smell. So we try, that represents the least of us, so we attempt to hide that. We don't want to sort of, it should stick out. So it's sort of put in between the other species. But yet, it's important, as you know, we've heard various different uh, uh, important, uh, how important it is to include everybody together. We tie all different, uh, every, every species represents another type of, uh, of a person, and each one is important. We bind them all together. But in any event, uh, for the purposes right now, uh, what we do is, uh, the bottoms of the lulav and the hadasim and the aravis should end at the same uh, uh, place. So we like you don't want the lulav to be below. I mean, sometimes people, because the lulav naturally is bigger, and the hadasim and the aravis are not as large, not as tall as the lulav. So some people are inclined to put the hadasim and the aravis in the middle of the lulav, but that's not the right way. The right way to do it, according to the Chabad tradition, is to put the Hadassim and the Ravis all the way to the bottom. They all start from the same spot on the bottom. And uh, on the lulav itself, uh, we put two rings. You put two rings on the lulav, and uh, that's put up a little bit higher up on the lulav, and we try that these rings should be covered uh, with the Hadassim and the Aravis, so that the height of the Hadassim and the Aravis, so you don't, you don't want to see really these rings when you're looking at the Lulav, because, so if you start from the bottom, you have to think of it, and let's say the Hadassim and the Aravis, the end over here, so you're going to put the rings on a spot where they're going to be partially covered by the uh, Hadassim and the Aravis so as not to be visible. Minimally, he says, part of the upper ring should also be covered. So even if a little bit sticks out. So you want to place it in a place where it's going to be covered. But in total, we'll put two on the lulav itself, on the top, okay? And then, after putting the two rings on the lulav, you put three rings and bind the lulav hadasim and aravis. Then you're going to tie 
these the set that we laid out before the dasim you're going to do with three rings and the three rings around the the species should be within one tafakh so you have one two three three rings next to each other they're going to be binding the three species together at the bottom is it here and then we're going to have two on the lulav on the top so together we're going to have five a total of five altogether two on the lulav and three binding the species together with the lulav so a total of five now it is best that children starting with the age of six should have their own kosher sets of the four species uh, age of six is already considered an age which children can begin to understand and you can start to educate them. They're already knowledgeable enough in order to uh, accept this education. Uh, and uh, so for little children, educate them, get them their own set. Of course, when you're talking about uh, boys that are over bar mitzvah, uh, they should not only have a kosher set, but they should have a beautiful set already. They make their own. They should have their own. They should have their own. Now, I mean, relatively speaking, prices today are pretty cheap. I mean, it's still expensive here to buy for everybody, but it's still a lot cheaper than it used to be in the olden days because they grow, they import them, and, you know, you can get, you know, certain deals for sets. But under Bar Mitzvah, you give them a set, but above Bar Mitzvah, for six years old, you give them a set, but it doesn't have to be such a beautiful one. But starting Bar Mitzvah, they should have a good set. Now... Now we have a, a, a little bit of a issue over here, uh, how to do this, because one of the requirements of the lulav and esrog of these species is that when you're saying the bracha, similarly to what we learned about the tzitzit, uh, we had that, um, uh, that you know, you have to own the tzitzit in order to make the bracha, it has to be used, it cannot be a borrowed one. There's a similar requirement to the uh, four species, the Dalad Minim, that um, that has to be yours. You have to own it. But not everybody has their own set. So if I am loaning you this set, then it won't be yours because it's on loan. So the way to really do it is to give it to the other person as a gift. So a gift is not a loan. A gift means that you own it. But, but when, like with the talus, exactly. Like we learned with the talus. Now, what happens is, uh, you're going to take it as a gift, and then you're not going to give it back to me. How do I know I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you a gift, my lulav and esrog, and then you're going to say, oh, that's a nice lulav and esrog. I'd like to keep it. You gave it to me as a gift. So I make a condition. I give it to you as a gift, so that you, on the condition that you give it back to me. In other words, eventually you're going to give it back to me as a gift. So during the duration, just like by the talit, when you're wearing the talit, it's your talit and you're making the bracha, over here during the duration that you're performing the mitzvah on the lulav and the etrog, then you are owning it for that period of time, and then later on you give it back to the other person. So while you're doing the mitzvah, it is fully yours. Now, we have a problem though when we're dealing with children that are under bar mitzvah. Because the problem with under bar mitzvah, they don't really have the power, because they're minors, to give gifts. They can receive a gift, 
when you give them a gift, they can receive it, but they don't have the power to give a gift. So we have a problem. If you are going to give to a minor a lulav and Ezra to use, so if you're going to give it to him as a gift, as we do with an adult, then he won't be able to give it back to you. Because then it's going to belong to him because he doesn't have the power to gift back. He only has the power to receive. And to make a contract because he's underage. It's, okay, that's right. So he can make a contract. But in this case, we're not talking about contract. We're talking about... It is a contract. It's a similar... It's a verbal, well, it's a verbal contract. Yeah. He can't be... He can acquire, but he can't give. Right. So what are we going to do if we want the, the minor to, to bench on a little of an esrig and he cannot really... Um, cannot really give it back. So if we give it to him, then we're not going to have it back. So then we're not going to have a little of an esrog of our own for the next day, even if we did it first. Right. Uh, and, and that's why some would do it. They would make sure to bench first. So at least, you know, they did They had it first. They got it. And then if the child doesn't give it back to them. So, but it seems like what we do is, in this case is, we actually don't give it to the child to be his we're just borrowing it. We're loaning it to him. And the child isn't doing the mitzvah in the 100% way. He's not owning it because we can't give it to him because he can't give it back. That's why it's even more important to have a separate set for the minors. Because the minors said they can give to each other. One can give. They can't take and they can't take. They're not really obligated from the Torah. It's only a uh, educational matter. So for their educational purposes, instead of the father or another adult giving them a loan, they have their own set, and their own set they can give to each other. And that's why we are learning over here that it is important uh, to, uh, if there's only one set of uh, uh, available, so the children that use the adult set use it as a borrow to them and not as a gift to them because children do not have the capacity to gift it back. The adults would later not be using a lulav that they own, so they can't give it to them away, so they have to just loan it to them. So the child isn't really doing it 100%, but at least he's doing the uh, training for the mitzvah. But if, okay, but if there is a child set over there, so then they gift each other, and then that's fine. That's why it's better to be another lulav and ashrug set over there. Now we come to another issue over here, uh, sometimes people have roofs over their sukkah, either covers because they don't want it to rain, and, and you know, just want to make sure that you don't forget. Sometimes you're not allowed to break open a roof. Sometimes, sometimes you're not allowed to do it on yontem, depending on exactly what the structure is. But if it's under a roof, you want to make sure and remember to open it up before sukkot so that your sukkah will be in a kosher, uh, in a kosher place. We know about the tradition that little girls begin to light their Shabbos and Yontif candles at the age of three. I mean, the Rebbe has made a big emphasis and a, uh, a big campaign in trying to get Jewish uh, children start at a young age involved in Yiddishkeit. If we're going to preserve Yiddishkeit when they get older, we got to hook them when they're young. <laughs> we got to make sure that they get a feeling for Yiddishkeit and they do this right. So, uh, if little girls start lighting the candles on the age of three, it's fitting that the first time they light the Shabbos and Yontif candles should be on a Yontif. So what? So that when they will say Shechiyonu, 
for the Yomtev, they will also be saying Shechayonu for the first time lighting the Shabbos candle, which means if they started to light on a regular Shabbos, we couldn't quite say that they make the Shechayonu over there for them because they're the first time doing it. Uh, it doesn't look like we're going to rule that you're going to make a Shechayonu there, but that's why do it on a Yomtev so you're saying Shechayonu, so that Shechayonu will, uh, it could be questionable on a regular Shabbos whether they do it when you say Shechayonu, so that Shechayonu will apply to the Yantav that they're making, and will also apply for being the first time they're doing the lighting of the, observing this mitzvah. Now, whenever possible, and there is no safety issue, it is best to light the candles in the sukkah. I mean, God forbid if there's a schach hanging out, a small, then don't, don't risk it. But if you can, everything you do in the house, you're supposed to do in the sukkah. You light the light in the house, you light the lights in the sukkah, if you can. But if possible, one should actually leave them in the sukkah for the duration of the meal. If you have enough place in the sukkah, yeah, for the meal, because you're going to eat with the, that adds to the whole festivity, just like the candles in the home, are at the Shabbos table so that you enjoy the light so that's the best way if however there is a shortage of sukkah space as it happens, people don't always have such large sukkahs in the space so one can remove some or all of the lights as necessary if you can't have them so you can remove them okay, now when moving the lights make sure to use the lights for some purpose, I mean so you should be looking at something because you're not allowed to just uh, move uh, the lights, the fire, uh, like that. Even on Yom it shouldn't be in vain. It should be because it's, it's, it's doing a malacha. You're doing a well, you're, you're extinction, lighting the fire, you're moving the muktza, everything you're doing, all these things. We don't want to do on Yom things just in vain, just like that. So, we're doing it for Pekuach Nefesh. Yeah, we're not talking about, we're not talking about Pekuach Nefesh over here. We're talking about this making some space over here. Making some space. It's just telling you, just use that light for something so you're making for some purpose. Okay? Now, uh, also, when possible, the Yom Tov lights should be visible to the one making Kiddush. So, meaning, sometimes, even if you don't have the, the lights in the sukkah itself, but even if it's in your house, and if your sukkah is not too far from the house, and he can be standing, he should be seeing, it's appropriate to be, at the time making Kiddush, seeing the Shabbos lights, if possible. Now, also we should light the Yom Tov lights before Yom Tov at the times printed in the calendars, which means on Yom Tov one is permitted from a pre-existing flight, you can light on Yom Tov the fire itself, you can light your candles on Yom Tov itself, However, it's best to light it in the regular time, as we do in Shabbos, 18 minutes by us, it's 18 minutes. Other places of other customs, we do it 18 minutes before sunset. And if you, did not light, if you did not light them then, on the time, so then light them before the meal, you know, at least before the meal, any time, from a pre-existing fire. And then you make two brachas when lighting the lights. First you make lahad likner shel yom and two, you make the bracha shechiyonu. And if it's Shabbos? Well, we're not Shabbos now. On Shabbos, you're going to make just not the Knesset Shabbos Kodesh. There's no more Yom Tov because it's Cholamoed. Yeah. No, you don't light, the candles don't, are not lit in Cholamoed, only on yeah. Yom Tov. So you're on Shabbos, we'll just make a Shabbos bracha. Okay, now, same thing as we do on Shabbos, just like on Shabbos, the blessings are made 
after lighting. So that means that even though on Yontav, as I explained last time, on Yontav, uh, one could conceivably make the bracha and still light the candles because on Yontav you're allowed to light candles. On Shabbos, we make the bracha, the blessing, um, after we make the we make the blessing after we light it because if we make the blessing ready to ready Shabbos then we can't light the Shabbos candles so that's why we make the blessing for, but, but make, we make there's a light first then we make the bracha and we cover our eyes and we enjoy but Yontav you could because but still it remains the same across the board the other day yeah we don't make it you don't, don't make an exception yeah. don't make exception. the same rule same, same, okay. right. so as on Shabbos the blessings are made after the lighting, so you make it light. You light it after the light. The blessing made after the lighting. Now, if a man is lighting the yomt of lights, whatever his wife isn't home, uh, whatever he's not married yet, whatever the case, make it light. So, since he will say the shachiyonu in kiddush, he does not say it now. So, the man would not say it now. He'll make the shachiyonu later on. So he'll just light it shiyotav, and then he'll make the shachiyonu later on. A man who accidentally made the shachiyonu while lighting the candles, and the candles were lit outside of the sukkah. So that means, basically, that he did make a shechion for the yontav, but it did not really apply to the uh, sukkah, because he wasn't in the sukkah when he uh, made the shechion. So then, needs to that person needs to either listen to somebody else saying the shechion, and saying amen, and thereby fulfilling his shechiyonu for the sukkah and for the building of the sukkah. Or if he doesn't have anybody else, he must say the shechiyonu again for himself. If, however, he did say the shechiyonu in the sukkah, so then the man said she covered everything. He did the yantav, he did the sukkah. Uh, so even though he did it when he did the lights, then he does not say again during the time that he makes Kiddush.